Welcome to the virtual seminar series of the Theology, Medicine, and Culture Initiative at Duke Divinity School. These semi-monthly seminars are a regular gathering of faculty, students, clinicians, and others interested in the intersections of theology, medicine, and culture. The seminars are presented and supported in collaboration with the Trent Center for Bioethics, Humanities, and History of Medicine. For more information and to register, go to tmc.divinity.duke.edu slash seminar. That if, uh, if you have any interest in study uh, with the Theology, Medicine, Culture Initiative, we have several formats that can take, including a new hybrid program that allows you to work, to continue your work and living wherever you are and come join us for a week in residence in August and a week in January to receive a certificate in theology and healthcare with flexible online work uh, afterwards. We also have an immersive residential fellowship program of one or two years. Uh, please visit our website, tmc.divinity.duke.edu, for further information about those programs. Now, it's my distinct joy and pleasure to introduce to you all Dr. Keisha Bentley Edwards, who will be speaking with us today on the topic of the intersection of gender and denomination on cardiovascular disease risk factors for African Americans. Dr. Bentley Edwards is the Associate Director of Research for the Samuel Du Bois Cook Center on Social Equity, and she's an assistant professor at, here at Duke University School of Medicine in the Department of General Internal Medicine. Her interdisciplinary research focuses on how culture, gender, and racism influence healthy development throughout the lifespan. Her health equity-based research has been supported by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and the National Institutes of Health. Her current NIH projects examine the role of religion and religious coping on cardiovascular disease risk factors and dementia. She regularly shares her expertise on the role of structural racism and bias on health, education, and social outcomes with policymakers, practitioners, and the broader community. And on a personal note, I want to thank Dr. Bentley Edwards, who uh, welcomed me when I was uh, coming on board at Duke nearly two years ago uh, and was really generous and gracious with her time and helping me orient navigating both the School of Medicine and the wider university context. Dr. Bentley Edwards, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, um, Brett, it's my pleasure. It was uh, wonderful to be invited. I will be sharing my screen and I'll try not to make the teacher sharing face that everyone likes to make jokes about on Zoom. Uh, so, here we go. All right, so today uh, I will, and everyone can see this, I'm assuming. Um, I wanted to share the work that our team is making over at the Cook Center on, uh, on religion and uh, religion, spirituality and cardiovascular disease risk factors. And so instead of talking about one specific paper, um, we have several studies and manuscripts that have recently been published. So I wanted to give a broad overview of the project because we're at a critical point where feedback is helpful, but also to share um, you know, some of the promising results that we have. So it's not really uh, uh, unusual to, um, to uh, talk about religion and health. And we'll be, I'll give a project overview, give a few of the key findings and trends. And, and then I really wanted to have a, 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 a nice robust discussion. And so overall, um, it sounds pretty benign what we're looking at. We wanted to know what the role of religion and spirituality is 
uh, on cardiovascular disease for African-Americans. And that seems like, well, people have been looking at religion and health for a while. What makes this different? Why did NIH fund you on this project? Especially because NIH doesn't always like to fund um, religious-based work in this way. Um, well, here's the thing that makes this project somewhat unique is that this is uh, focused on exclusively on African-Americans. So all the findings that you'll see here are on African-Americans. So when we started digging in and Sandy Darity or William, Sandy Darity is my co-investigator on this project. Um, we, when we looked through the studies and I think what actually sparked his curiosity was the, um, the um, Seventh-day Adventist studies that were coming out on health and looking at the distinctions in uh, the denominational distinctions in health. Um, and the way that the study was set up is that you could compare uh, white Adventists to other white people in a variety of um, religious affiliations. And then for the African-Americans who were part of the Seventh-day Adventist church, they were compared to the general black population. And so they were healthier than the general black population, but not as healthy as the Seventh-day Adventists that were part of their congregations. So, um, you know, that really was a curious finding, but as we looked into more and more of the research, what we found is a, a fairly robust um, literature on the mental health benefits, the social benefits of religion for African-Americans, um, but the more specific physical health, it was a bit all over the place. Some of it um, was, most of it was qualitative, um, but it was, it wasn't as focused on, on the, the nuance of religion. And considering that African-Americans have consistently been um, noted as the most religious group um, in America compared to whites and Latinos specifically, uh, this is something that was of keen interest to us. And so we decided to look at four key factors or indicators for cardiovascular disease. Um, obesity, hypertension, diabetes, and depression. And so for each of these risk, each of these um, diseases, uh, you find that African-Americans have a high prevalence or a higher health burden. Uh, so overall for cardiovascular disease, uh, what you find is that there is a similar prevalence um, between black and white um, individuals. However, the morbidity and the mortality is roughly twice that for African-Americans, particularly when you look at first time um, heart incidents. So this is something that was really a, a critical uh, source of information. Like we need to find this information and figure out what can be done to analyze this data better so that we can implement better interventions. And because faith-based uh, health in innovations um, and interventions is a growing um, strategy. This seemed like it was a really ripe, and I, my research interest looks at race, culture, gender, um, racism. And so this really tied into a lot of the work that I was already doing. So, so to get more into this project, we decided that we wanted it to be really robust. And so, with that, we have um, 
We wanted to look at denominational differences, which is something we really weren't seeing. We wanted to see if we could find the similar um, directions as far as the research <coughs> um, across multiple data sets. Um, we also um, felt that there would be differences when we looked at the intersection of gender and denomination because we knew that there were already some gender differences for instance in obesity and uh, depression where women have, a black women specifically have higher rates of obesity and depression in the general population. And then we also, I'm a developmental psychologist by training, so I'm always interested in how um, different stages of a person's life affects their health outcomes. And so that was interesting to me as well. And so with that in mind, um, and then obviously we're, um, have the qualitative part. We're not gonna talk as much about the qualitative part. Um, <coughs> excuse me, I've been talking since about eight o'clock this morning and it's starting to catch up to me. So um, with that in mind, we have two overarching themes or aims um, and we're gonna focus more so on aim one at this moment, uh, just otherwise this will be in here all day. And so identifying these, uh, the variables, organizing, determine these common attributes. Um, and really we wanted to look at, um, the, the reason why we wanted to look at the denominations is we wanted to know, like are there denominations that overall, especially based off of their doctrines, maybe doing it a little bit better than others and how can we share that wealth of knowledge if we can share that wealth of knowledge to other denominations. Our second aim, and so that was using secondary data. The second aim is qualitative, which we're in the midst of um, collecting that data right now. And that data is being collected from uh, faith leaders in, inter in the form of interviews and then focus groups for um, members of faith institutions. And so the um, secondary data sources, the National Survey of American Life, uh, the national, and, and so INSAL is what you'll hear me referring to it or NSAL. Um, and that is a data set that is the largest uh, data set um, solely of African-Americans. We are using only the African-Americans or, and actually not just African-Americans, Black Americans. So the NSAL, NSAL, one of the key features is that it also has um, an oversampling of Caribbean-Americans as well. Then we have the um, Ad Health, um, which is what um, I'll be calling it, the National Longitudinal Study of Adolescent to Adulthood Health. And that one is a um, longitudinal study that started following teenagers into adulthood. And now they're roughly in their late 30s to early 40s. They started in high school. And then in Jackson Heart Study, um, which tends to be an older population, for today, we're gonna to focus on the first two data sets because I wanted to share the data that we've either already published or uh, are in the process of developing those manuscripts. And this is just the overall um, information. So as you can see, these are robust um, data sets. So um, anywhere between 3,000 and 5,000 overall in the sample. Now, granted, once we start dealing with missing data, and um, it, 
drops down quite a bit, but it's still very large samples, even, even with that type of attrition. So why am I so obsessed with denominations? Um, one of the issues that we were having is that when we were looking at existing research is that you would have these robust comparisons of the religious affiliations for white Americans in health studies. And then it would be the black church. So you would have either an all white sample or you'd have a multiracial sample, but it would be um, white people of a lot of different faiths and the black people would just uh, be the black church. And I can understand that because the majority of, of African-Americans are members of historically black churches. But if you dig deeper into that, um, as this table or these, these charts show, um, the seven largest historically black churches are listed here. Um, AME, AME Zion, uh, CME, uh, Kojic, or, um, which is part of um, the Pentecostal um, faith group, um, Baptist, uh, United Methodist Church and Presbyterian Church. And then there's also, and not all of these were created like the AME church as, um, um, by Black people, but they have large Black populations um, as part of their membership. And then as well as others, which may be more regional, having large Black populations, for instance, uh, Je Jehovah's Witness, Seventh-day Adventist, or Catholic. Um, now, one of the issues that you have with, with dealing with secondary data, and so um, with some of the data sets, um, what we found is that either the researchers didn't ask uh, for these specific denominations or they grouped them together, particularly around Methodist. We found that Methodists were often um, grouped together as well as the various Pentecostal groups. And then for the um, National Survey of American Life, uh, they did the most disconcerting thing of all. And they had, um, they lumped uh, folks together in a group called Protestant other, which doesn't really give you a lot of good information. But we did get great information on um, Catholics, Presbyterians, um, as well as Pentecostals, of course, Baptists um, and Methodist. And we had some interesting findings with Lutherans, but um, we couldn't really report on a lot of that just for sample size issues. <clears throat> So our team, uh, we have a, a really strong team, um, an interdisciplinary team to help us inform our research questions as well as our analysis and as we go further. So I wanted to make sure I acknowledge that and later on I have pictures. Um, so I wanted to kind of get into the thick of things as far as the key findings and the trends. So as I said, we were studying um, obesity, diabetes, depression, and hypertension. And just to give you some ideas about some of our, um, about why we were looking. Obesity, I wanted to bring up specifically because that is such a big issue and particularly for, for black women. Um, you can see that for uh, when it comes to, um, for black women, you have the highest prevalence of obesity. Um, overall women in general tend to have higher rates of, um, 
of obesity, but when you're talking about black women, that is, is really high, especially in comparison to the overweight um, category. And you can see um, by age on that second chart, when you separate it by age, um, that also, um, there are different um, time periods of your life when you're expected to peak or when you're expected to have a lower weight. And this was something that um, we, is from uh, the CDC data. So when we were looking at our um, data, we were finding some, some, some things that were pretty intriguing. So this paper was released in 2019. And one of the things that we found was that there were two things. Now, um, you know, when it got out to the Duke machine, it got very interesting. So we found for black men specifically, we, our biggest, the finding that most people latched onto was that um, men who attended church um, uh, almost daily, that they were significantly more likely to be obese uh, than their counterparts uh, who never attended church, which of course, uh, when the media picked it up, it was, it's church making you fat. Uh, uh, and so those interviews were interesting uh, <laughs> because that's not exactly what we were saying. Um, what we actually felt was that, and this is where some of the interpretation that we're going, hopefully we'll, the insight we'll be able to get from the qualitative data, but just uh, based off of both research and then I, you know, I grew up in the church and from what I see um, um, as far as uh, being in the church, when you're going to church um, that much, um, it doesn't really leave a lot of room for anything else. And that's really what we were thinking about. Because if you think about someone who's working and, and oftentimes um, if you're going to church that, that often you have a leadership role in your church. So you're going to church um, three days a week, you go to work, you may pick up kids or look in on a family member. You go to Bible study, um, you might have a deacons meeting or something else. And then by the time you've done all that, it's nine o'clock at night and on your way home, you know, you are just picking up whatever's open. So that's really what we were thinking about. What I was actually surprised, which was the novel finding in this study, because there has been some research that's looked at um, the obesity for, for black men in this relationship to church attendance. Um, and that was really about the diabetes. And that was something that we haven't really been able to explain why it was more so like, hey, we found this, we hope somebody can help us interpret it um, and hope, and it'll be interesting to get your take on that. So um, this next study is, uh, actually is that one, ah, this next study I realized that the, um, that I put, the, um, put it in my notes. So this study right here, looking at denomination, uh, gender and life, uh, and life stage, we looked at the intersection of, of gender and, uh, and age, and we separated the groups by, um, by denomination. And what we found is that for women, and obviously, like I said, these are all African-Americans, for women, what we found is that it wasn't just denomination and it wasn't uh, just age, but the intersection of denomination and the, the intersection of denomination 
um, and age had a big effect on obesity. And for what we found is that for women who were Pentecostal, who were in that 30 year age range, um, they actually had significantly higher obesity than the other groups, um, specifically Baptists and Methodists. And for one of those, it was about three times as high. Now, this is something that is actually very interesting because as I showed you um, from this chart in the general population, you find that age period of your 20s and 30s to be a time when you're at your lowest weight. The other thing that we found, particularly for Pentecostal women, is that there was no flattening of, of, their, um, of their levels of obesity or likelihood of being obese is probably a more accurate way of saying it. So their risk of obesity never actually had a leveling down point. Uh, and so that's something that um, you know, should be looked into more. And I'll talk about a bit more about my thoughts on that um, in, a, in a few minutes. So this paper has been accepted and hopefully will be out sometime in the next few months. Um, so the next paper looking at hypertension, <clears throat> this used ad health data. And then once again, we found um, a vulnerability with Pentecostal women. Um, and, and so this is a trend that we, you know, that we need to look into. The other aspect about this paper, <clears throat> and ironically, this was an issue that I got pushed back on um, when it came to the um, NIH reviewers, is how young this, um, this sample is. So uh, one of the critiques or one of the things I had to account for um, in this study was how um, well, why are you using ad health when, and when you're looking at something, and I think they actually even talked specifically about hypertension, and they said it's not going to show up. So well, as we started analyzing the data, <clears throat> the first thing that stood out to us was that uh, roughly 30% of the participants actually rated as having hypertension, which is uh, unusual. And it was surprising. So there was already a higher prevalence um, in, this, um, in this participant pool for hypertension. And then once we started looking uh, more deeply into this, and this article was just published uh, in uh, October. Yeah, um, I, well, I guess it came out in November, December. And so, um, so what we find is this intersection of gender and denomination. Uh, and so we're, every time we're looking, oftentimes when you're looking, the, just the straight denominational differences were either weak or non-existent. They were, there was no significant difference. But once we looked um, more deeply into it and did the, disaggregated the data um, by race and I mean by gender and age or gender and denomination, that was what we what we actually found. And so um, for Ad Health, they also looked at um, coping style, and that you know it was showing that religious coping also had um, um, an influence on hypertension as well. So this is you know really interesting interesting data. <clears throat> now, one thing that I was expecting to find 
<clears throat> as far as what are the things that could influence um, the findings was I assumed um, that maybe the Pentecostal women were attending church significantly more than the other groups, but uh, we weren't really finding that. Um, there weren't significant differences across uh, church attendance based off the of denomination in, in, in the study. So that was something that was interesting, especially as how it informs our findings. And then um, for depression, this article just came out in December. <clears throat> and so the, the article is based, as you see here, Shades of Black. Um, this article is using the NSAL data. And then we have an article that's recently been submitted that is using uh, the ad health data. So the, um, um, so that is, a, a, the ad health data is a separate manuscript. So um, with this um, NSAL data, um, like I said, which is a national sample of African-Americans and a pretty wide um, age range. The thing that was really uh, striking is, um, as I said earlier, in general, um, you have a, um, a gender gap when it comes to depressive symptoms with women, excuse me, with women having greater depression, um, more likely to have depressive symptoms than men. Uh, what we found is that when we looked at denomination, um, the gaps, the gaps between men and women differed based off the of denomination. So, um, and where even for some of them where the men actually had higher um, rates or um, um, higher likelihood or um, odds of depression, uh, depressive symptoms than the women, which was an interesting finding, um, particularly for Catholics. And, uh, and then for the ad health data, um, what we found, the, the, the key finding we had for that was that Catholic women uh, reported more depressive symptoms than Baptist women and non-denominational women. And there were no differences in the groups that aren't listed here. And so there are a few theories that we have about both of these uh, sets of findings. Uh, so some of it has to do with the gender norms at depending on the denomination. Um, one of the reasons why I was so interested in looking at um, gender specifically, um, you know, I grew up um, predominantly going to the AME church, but, you know, you go to other churches uh, in your community and other family members may go to different denominations, and the gender roles were just so starkly different um, about um, who could be a leader, how you could express yourself, how you could dress, um, that I couldn't imagine that that would not also have an impact on things such as depression and other health indicators. And our findings revealed that to also be true. So, um, so I wanted to make sure that I acknowledge um, the, the big team that we have, um, uh, particularly um, my postdocs. Um, so we have Paul Robbins, Melissa Scott, and our former postdoc, uh, Lonica Blackman-Carr, um, and then our demographer, Alhania Conde, uh, who really put all this together. And we have undergrads, we have graduate, uh, graduate students, as well as, like I said, a, a really big team 
um, of, of advisors and stakeholders that are part of this. So getting back into what does it all mean? The key issue that we wanna be able to say is that denominations matter. Uh, oftentimes we, when we talk about the black community or the, the black church, it doesn't really acknowledge the diversity in beliefs. So even though the majority of black people um, um, hold strong religious beliefs, um, it doesn't mean that all of them have the same beliefs. So in the US, there's roughly um, about 80,000 um, historically black churches across the country. Um, so it would be strange for there not to be differences when you're starting to talk about um, you know, educational levels, um, gender dynamics that I mentioned before, um, uh, one thing I'm I would, I would also be interested in is the size of churches. Um, you know, I, I imagine there would be differences, and this is outside the scope of this study, when it comes to a mega church versus a storefront church. You know, there's a lot of, of variation in there and a lot of really untapped work um, that can be done in this area. So denominations matter, but denominations really, really matter for women. And we really need to look at the age and gender um, intersections. Um, also, attendance matters, but there is a nuance when it comes to how it matters differently for women, and especially in the context of coping. On depression, we need to check on Catholics. When it comes to obesity and hypertension, we need to check on Pentecostal women. And then also um, the gender gap. Um, is something that was also a key and critical issue. But what I wanted to make sure I came back to was the Pentecostal women. And this is a group that I feel is untapped um, as far as looking specifically, because oftentimes when we look at um, faith-based um, interventions specifically, it may be started at one uh, specific church and it's successful and then you take it to the next black church up the street without having a um, the nuance of 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 the the social norms and the cultural norms within that faith institution that may be different based off the of denomination. And so, when you're talking about um, black Pentecostals, typically you're talking about the Church of God in Christ, um, and even within. Um, even within the Church of God in Christ, you still have several more historically black denominations. Um, and there's certain lifestyle doctrines and I, I, lifestyle is used pretty loosely um, that can inform some of our findings. And so some of that has to do with um, the ideas of modesty um, and vanity um, as being something that you don't want to really engage in. Um, and, and especially the idea of vanity being tied into um, health and exercise. If you think about the way that we often associate exercise with how you look um, instead of um, your overall health, it can, it can at times be in opposition to your views if you feel that vanity um, is something that you should not um, uphold or, or put an emphasis on. Now, one thing that is very um, specific is uh, looking at this book, 
by Judith Castleberry, whose work I really admire. Um, her, um, her, this is this book is based off a um, qualitative study and observational and interviews that she did with women in the Church of God in Christ and in the Pentecostal Church. And these are the more traditional conservative uh, um, Pentecostal women. There was she was showing heavy service expectations in that twenty-five to fifty-year range, um, where at that age you are expected to be the person to open up the church, um, clean the church before and after service, handle food, you're handling several ministries. There's just a heavy emphasis, but there's also an underlying culture to the strong black woman um, paradigm and framework. Um, and that this struggle and sacrifice is part of a demonstration of your faith. And so, um, so I thought that that was a really interesting um, way to interpret our findings. Um, and then I would also look at Shanika Walker Barnes' work, um, her book, Too Heavy a Yoke. And that looks overall at Black women in church. And I believe she is actually an alum um, of Duke. Um, and so, um, so these are things that I feel really need more interrogation and deeper thought um, as far as how we interpret our, our findings. Um, because one thing I, I wanted to be clear about, this study is not about bashing churches, it's not about bashing Pentecostals, it's really like how can we integrate um, people's faith in a way that can feed their soul, feed them spiritually, but also make sure that their vessel is whole as well. And so that's something that I've been really, you know, thinking about and trying to figure out how we can determine these next steps. And so, so limitations, there's always limitations with secondary data. Um, you know, we had to deal with some consolidated denominations. The NSAL is an older, although it's a robust data set, it is an older data set. Um, and then uh, the next steps, as I told you, we're collecting primary um, qualitative data. So one of the things that we wanted to do with the quantitative data, we wanted to know if there were relationships between these variables. And we're using the qualitative data to do two things, to understand why these relationships exist um, in real life, but also like, do these relationships that we're finding, even in these specific denominations, is that reflective of what you're seeing um, in your own faith um, communities? Um, and then we need to publish our Jackson Heart Study findings, which um, are also coming out soon. And so um, with that in mind, I really wanted to open up for, um, for questions and I'll stop sharing, but I'm easy to find and easy to contact. Uh, so thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Bentley Edwards, both for um, that really important and engaging presentation and for giving us uh, quite a bit of time to talk in conversation with one another, which is a real joy. Um, yes. So, uh, so I'll moderate the Q&A and keep an eye on folks if you'll raise hands in, in the participant function. Um, I'll call on you then and we'll invite you to turn on your video and unmute yourself and, and engage in that way. Um, so, so feel free to go ahead and, and raise hands in the chat if you have, uh, if you have a question. Uh, first question, Dr. Farr-Curlin. 
Thank you, Dr. Bentley Edwards. I'm wondering if there's data on that's longitudinal such that you could tell whether people become more obese um, or, or their obesity levels change differentially based on what kind of church they join or moving from one church to the other. Because I, and maybe a mm -hmm. corollary question is that you could speak mm -hmm. to is the issue of confounding. I, knowing roughly that Pentecostals are, um, I, I think in general, have lo a lower socioeconomic status on average, mm -hmm. lower levels of education. Wonder whether obesity is correlated with that and that is correlated with denomination and that might explain the difference. Your, your thoughts about that? So for the quantity, so there's two things. Uh, so we are actually uh, um, running analysis now on a longitudinal with the Ed Health um, data to see if there's changes over time. Um, now, one thing there with a, with a caveat. So um, part of the issues when you're dealing with secondary data, sometimes they'll ask the questions um, slightly differently. Um, in a from one round to the next as far as religion. Um, so we can see um, how their the arc of their obesity, but we can't always see if their religion changed um, at that point. So because it, if they ask something that um, um, if it's a category that may have been dropped, then it may not catch or if they decided to pick it up later, we may not be able to catch that. Um, all the time. So that's something that I wanted to make sure, um, you know, I made that distinction on. The other aspect we did control, I didn't want to uh, beat you guys over the head with a whole bunch of statistics because I really wanted to have, um, have the nuance, but we did control for income in all of our analyses. So we control for income and also for educational status. And then one of the things that we thought may also be related had to do with region. Um, and there really weren't, um, on the NSAL, there were some regional differences um, when it came to obesity, um, but it wasn't where you would expect based off of what you see on the news, the South wasn't necessarily heavier than everyone else. And, you know, considering that, which somewhat in, in a lot of ways, it can kind of make sense as far as uh, most Black people are in the South in the U.S., but it's not... Um, but they, they weren't necessarily a heavier group for these national samples. Thank you, the great questions. Great, thank, thank you both. I, I think I see next uh, Thomas Holcomb. Hi, uh, yes, thank you. Thank you for your uh, presentation, uh, Dr. Bentley Edwards. Um, my question, a uh, couple, couple questions, and uh, you know, the, if it's, uh, don't wanna be too deep on the theological levels, but you mentioned there the Presbyterian Church. Uh, that's, a, that's a very broad category referring more to church polity than church theology. Mm -hmm. um, so I wonder if you had broken down that data into um, different denominations like within the Presbyterian Church, or within the Baptist Church with respect to like Reformed doctrine. Uh, and then another question uh, kind of, and you don't have to answer all my questions, but these are my thoughts. Um, you know, views of the, of the, of eschatology of the end times and specifically of the body, mm -hmm. if that had any role in um, people's view of their own bodies, like, the, uh, you know, if you're going to have a, the, the same body, the resurrected body or a new body, you know, mm -hmm. would, that, would that play a brand role? new, yeah. 
you, yeah. you're born brand new yes and then and then finally uh my, my other thought i had was uh you you mentioned how people might be busy during during the day if the if church attendance went up on the daily basis three times a week might they be uh more obese and uh so did you match that at all for non-religious people who had similar busy schedules and do they do they match up in in that regard as well uh you know adjusted for age and demographics and education so on and so forth so let's see so the first question um with the presbyterian we because it was secondary data we couldn't necessarily um break it up that was a frust frustration with the presbyterian group pentecostal group as well oh i missed the co I, I love your co-worker the presbyterian group the um as well as the Methodist, uh, <laughs> uh, the Methodist group, we were also, uh, you know, really disappointed uh, that that because there's a big difference between someone who's United Methodist versus Annie or Annie Zion. So, um, so that was a frustration that we had uh, as well when it came to the secondary data. And so, we're hoping that um, as we can choose with the qualitative data. Um, to be able to pick up the pieces of some of the those denominations that were missing from the quantitative data. So that was um, the number one. The other aspect, um, as far as um, the afterlife, that couldn't really pick, be picked up in the quantitative. They didn't really ask uh, specific questions about it. It was more so about overall coping and faith. So um, is whether or not, um, you know, I just leave it up to God. And then uh, some of my conversations with faith leaders, um, and this was part of us forming the research questions, um, is uh, not so much in dealing with the afterlife, but more so um, worrying about your health was also seen as um, not having a strong enough faith. And so God will provide, um, you know, on, on different spec ends of the spectrum. And so I'm just gonna pray over it and hope that and hope for the best. But then you also have the other end. Um, um, if you were to talk about um, Adventists, who um, is very much a part of their um, their doctrine. The other thing that we're interested in when it comes to the qualitative data are the different types of health ministries and um, that churches may have. So for me, um, you know, if I were just to divide like the two, I guess there would be three extremes or three big data points when it comes to what may be in a health ministry. So obviously it could be either nothing or it could be something that is more so um, like an informational, um, like or, or, or awareness based. So like heart health awareness, it's February. Um, and then down to the other end of the spectrum where you have um, workout activities, you have um, cooking classes, um, you have blood pressure checks, you know, at once a month or on a regular basis. So I think that um, those are some of the things when it comes to the afterlife and how that, how that is related to how people take care of their bodies in their present uh, form, I think will come up in the qualitative data. So I think that's a great question. Thank you, Thomas, and thanks especially to your coworker. Um, the next question is from uh, Jason Ash, uh, my friend and uh, TMC alum. Hello, <laughs> hello, good afternoon. Uh, 
Sorry, I'm going to hide myself. I hate to look at that. Okay, great. Um, so thank you, thank you so much for this uh, amazing talk. Um, I feel, first of all, well, I have so many thoughts, but I feel like I do not get to see enough Black researchers who are also talking about um, the ways that we are not monolithic. So the first thing I wrote down is just thanking you for recognizing that the Black church is not monolithic and that mm -hmm. we are unique, but most of the literature tries to position us as um, speaking to a culture of racism and how that intersects with faith, but they also then miss how there are other manifestations of denominational differences. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> my it's <question>. wonderful. <laughs> my, now you're going to hit me with a hard question. I can tell it's coming. I'm ready for it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm geeking out on a Wednesday. Um, so my I have two questions. Um, the first is about candidate mediators. So particularly when you nom when you say church size, the first thing I thought about was social support. Um, but even when I was in um, at more active in my church in Durham, um, I remember being a part of the church choir and a lot of ways that we would gather and celebrate and fellowship with each other was over a meal. And mm -hmm. so that, and we were in a Pentecostal space, right? And so it was just very interesting to see how that's showing up. So I was wondering, um, um, how did y'all, if y'all tested for candidate mediators like uh, alcohol use, other health behaviors, um, and then the other follow-up was mm -hmm. with regards to the difference between religious coping and religious service attendance, um, if there were ways that you could tease through the positive versus the negative religious coping, um, mm -hmm. and even thinking through the, um, I think in response to Thomas's point too, that um, Sometimes you'll hear language of pray it away or um, mm -hmm. I put it all in God's hands, mm -hmm. which in my opinion is both negative but also positive because yeah, absolutely. Right. Like we, we've had <laughs> to deal with racism and everything. So at this point, it's like I can't worry about this right now. I need to, you know, and so mm -hmm. I think that passing up onto God is also a positive thing for us, but absolutely. most of literature characterized it negative. So I just wanted to hear some thoughts um, with regards to that. And thank you again. Yes, no, that's great. It's like you've been in our research meeting. So, uh, so for the, um, so I'll start backwards. So with the religious coping, it's, it's, it is both, it's a both and situation, right? So, and, and it can be um, very helpful on things that truly are out of your control, right? So you can actually stop and say, you know what, and in, in a semi-structured way, I talked about this right before this, I was like, look, once I submit something, I'm like, hey, it's out of my hands, <laughs> you know, and that's kind of, <laughs> so I guess my faith uh, follows on that too, I'm like, hey, you know, it's submitted, you know, I don't think about it anymore, um, but I, I, I look at that in other ways too, uh, in how, uh, how you deal with challenging people, how that can also be helpful. Like I can't control you. I'm gonna leave that one up to God. I think that can also be very helpful in a lot of ways, but when it comes to, um, there's two things. So um, where it can be harmful when there are things that you possibly can control, but it's with a, with a caveat. You also have to have a support system that allows you to engage in those behaviors too. So. Um, you know, the, the food aspect, um, you know, I, one of my very best friends, uh, born and raised Pentecostal and, uh, and she'd go to church, she'd get there at about 12 o'clock and she wouldn't get home till about 10. 
at night. And, but you know, she had food breaks in between and you know, sometimes it was healthy and sometimes, you know, it was some good mac and cheese. Now, one of the things I wanna argue with is that it's not, we will not make that argument that someone indulging on Sunday afternoon on traditional Southern food is gonna make them obese if they are doing other, engaging in other behaviors the rest of the week, right? So it doesn't, I, I don't want to demonize, you know, Miss Pearl's cooking. Um, what I'm saying is that you can't eat Miss Pearl's cooking every day. <laughs> you know, you have to slip in a salad. So that's more so um, the, the perspective that I have is that um, having, because most, uh, first off, most churches can't afford to feed you every time you come in, if you are coming in every night or for multiple ministries. And so that's something else, like as far as the perception that people have about church culture. Yes, there is often food, um, but it's not necessarily, everything is not, you know, the big mama's house type cooking. Um, let's see that. So that was, the, that was your last question. You had something else and I got too hyped and I forgot what it was. Can you repeat it? <laughs> I've now messed up my paper so I can't read my notes. So <laughs> that was okay. that was helpful. Um, um, I'll, 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 thank you though, thank you. Yes, and, and if it comes, it might come back to me. Hopefully it won't be at two o'clock in the morning. But uh, <laughs> if it comes back to me, I'll answer it. Or if it comes back to you, you can just send me a note. Oh, well, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Jason. Thank you both. Um, next, I see uh, Rebecca Hamlet. Hi, um, Dr. Bentley Edwards. Um, thank Hello. you so much. This was an awesome um, talk. I am a nursing student from Villanova University, um, and I am really interested in health promotion and public health nursing. Um, and so I know that you touched on this a couple of questions ago, but I was wondering if you could share more about um, some of those. I know a lot of public health um, projects partner with different faith-based organizations. And so um, I was wondering if in your research, if you um, came across any programs and if you guys saw um, a difference in their health outcomes, depending on like the health problem of the denomination, whether it was hypertension or depression, um, if those pro programs were effective um, and if so, how those might be implemented in other churches. Thank you. Yes, no, great question. See, that actually, that's a great question. That actually was part of what motivated the study was the frustration um, as the more we kept digging in, a lot of times the churches, the, the faith-based um, um, programs, when they went into churches, they actually didn't give the details. They just said a black church or a community, a black church in the community. Oftentimes they didn't even say what the denomination was. Uh, or they may have talked about it in the pilot study that was published, but then um, they didn't talk about it further along. But then you find mixed. So if you look at the best practices, um, um, like the What Works page, or I think it's the National Cancer Institute has the best functioning one. If you look, um, there's really a lot of, there's really not a lot to go by. And what you find is that part of it is that is that um, scalability is challenged. And what what I would make the argument is that the problems of scalability has to do in the black church, where there's a bit more success in the white church. Um, and the white church, obviously, 
also acknowledging the diversity um, in the white faith community is that I think that the white faith community was considered before they went into a different denomination. So if they were going to mainline Protestant, if they started in mainline Protestant, they were looking for other mainline Protestants. That's my um, guess on that. So, so that's that's what I, I would that's where I would look is to look at the National Cancer Institute's uh, what work site um, to see what is the most recent because my my thoughts are a little bit outdated um, on that. But that's that's where I would go if I were you. And you can specifically query for um, for faith based programs. And I love Philly. I went to Penn. <laughs> so. <laughs> Thank you both. Um, Dr. Ben Lowers, I wonder um, if you could say a bit about the qualitative work that y'all are looking to do or getting started. I'm, I'm really interested in, in what, what you're pursuing and how you're pursuing it. So um, we um, partnered up uh, with uh, the Community Health Coalition. Uh, and we did this for a few reasons. For one, when, I, when we submitted the grant, um, I just moved here. I'd only been here for a few months. And one thing I do know is that if you're gonna do work in the community, um, you need to have um, either be from the community or you need to be partnered up with a strong institution. And for them, um, they are so, and especially with Elaine, Dr. Elaine Hunt Brothers, um, she's so connected with the faith community here um, that it was a natural partnership. And so um, obviously with COVID, uh, it threw a monkey wrench, so to speak, in our plans. We were supposed to have started uh, really about this time last year, um, but that was put on pause. And so we've started doing everything virtually. So uh, we were asking questions um, to faith leaders about, so although there's a lot of overlap between the interview questions and the um, focus group questions, there are some that are a bit more pointed for the faith leaders because we would assume that they'd have a deeper understanding of doctrine. You know, not necessarily because I do have some aunts who can tell you some things, but um, the assumption would be that the faith leaders can have, may have a better explanation for why their approach to health is the way that it is um, in their faith community. Um, um, for some of them, we tell a few of our findings to kind of see if it reflects what they see in their church community. Um, but we also wanna know, like, do you talk about it on the pulpit? Uh, do you, um, and, and also for the, the, the other key is that um, for the qualitative, we also are um, looking to, to um, look at um, um, Muslim, African-American Muslims in you know, North Carolina and Durham specifically has a pretty large um, African-American uh, Muslim community and has a, with a long history, uh, which is pretty exciting. Uh, and that is something that is also unique about Durham is that we have a, a long-standing historically black Catholic church as well as Presbyterian and Lutheran, um, Seventh-day Adventists. Like we have just a real richness in faith um, from a um, historically black perspective here that I really enjoy. Thank you for that. And I'm really excited about the fruits of both that qualitative research and your overall project and all the different things you have running. It's just really exciting uh, to learn about this work that you're doing and to learn from it and also to imagine potential ways that we can uh, partner in the future. I'm really excited about that. Yes. Um, 
so, so thank you on behalf of all of TMC for joining us and leading us in this conversation. It's a real joy to learn from you, Dr. Bentley Edwards. Um, for those of you in attendance, uh, please know that our next uh, TMC seminar will be in two weeks on February 24th with um, Dr. Kevin Rowe and Dr. Bradley Gregory, two biblical studies scholars speaking on uh, Saved by Grace through Pharma, the Bible and Preventive Medicine. Uh, so please do join us then. Uh, but for now, please join me in thanking Dr. Bentley Edwards uh, one last time for her presentation.